Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. How many times have you wanted to talk to the CEO of your company, but you've hesitated because you didn't know what to say or how to connect in a meaningful way? Well, how about for other C-suite executives, people like the CTO, the CFO, the CHRO, or we could list a whole bunch of other C-Os. Or what about board members at your companies? Have you tried to make a board presentation and really struggled? Well, today we're going to talk about what you need to say and what the CEO and other senior leaders want to hear from you. So with me today is Suzanne Paquin-Nemex. She's a decade of boardroom experience, and she's a member of the board of directors of ArcelorMittal, which is in the steel industry, Owens Corning, which is in buildings products, Aventive, which is formerly in Canal Oil and Gas, and she has led both the CEO succession planning process and the board refreshment process in a number of companies. She is also a senior advisor to McKinsey and Company, having retired as a senior partner in 2010, where she served clients in industry, logistics, insurance, manufacturing, healthcare, and professional services on a broad range of strategy, corporate finance, business building, portfolio management, operations, organization, and risk management issues. I think the bottom line is Suzanne has been in just about a bunch of boardrooms talking to a bunch of C-suite executives on about any business topic, Suzanne, and I think that uniquely qualifies you for the topic today. I should also add that Suzanne is trustee of the Texas Children's Hospital and is an immediate past chair of the Houston Zoo Board, where she serves on the advisory board also for advancing women executives in energy. So Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wanda. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. So I know that you're spending some of your free time at the moment training young leaders on how to connect with CEOs. Why does this topic matter to you? Why do you care? Uh, what really matters to me is to see uh, women in particular succeed in the senior ranks of management. Uh, when I think back on my career, I thought 40 years ago that uh, we would pretty much see 50-50 women uh, in the C-suite, women in the boardroom. And I have been shocked to find out that things have moved a little bit slower than I would have anticipated. <laughs> Is that an understatement? So, um, so I care, you know, tremendously about helping women leaders succeed. But frankly, I care about young leaders more broadly, men and women, uh, partially because my fundamental belief is the obligation of leaders is to create more leaders. And once our career has come to its uh, summit, if you will, it's, uh, it's time to give back and it's time to create the next generation of leaders who can uh, hopefully carry the mantle and do it even better than many of we did 
many of us did. <laughs> Hopefully with fewer mistakes along the way. That would be a really <laughs> Exactly. Wonderful. Maybe they can learn from all of our mistakes, right? <laughs> Maybe. <Barbara? laughs> At least not repeat those. That would be a good strategy. All right. Now, I know we want to talk about talking to the C-suite, but I, I can't, you just dangle that and I can't resist. 40 years ago, you thought we'd be at parity between men and women in the senior ranks of organizations. And by all stretches of any measure you want to look at anywhere in the world, we're falling way, way, way short of that. And if a company has 30% in their senior ranks, they're doing amazingly well. So are you seeing particular issues that you think are holding people back from reaching the senior levels that they'd like to reach? And that can be true for women. It can be true for men as well. I think we, I think we do. I, you know, if you think about it, for quite some time now, we've seen women graduating from college at more than 50%, right? right. So by definition, we should have seen a, uh, a parity some time ago. Uh, but we're not seeing it in business. We are seeing it in other places, though. We're seeing some real bright spots in in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are seeing some, you know, tremendous progress. You know, in the law, we're seeing tremendous progress. So I, I do think we are making progress in various places, albeit at a slower rate than many of us would have anticipated. Great. Right. All right. So let's turn to this whole notion of talking to CEOs or C-suite in general. I know you have two big themes that you think are really critical for young people, men and women to understand. And one is the need to ask provocative questions. And the second one is how to connect on multiple levels. But before I talk about those two themes, I want to get your perspective on the CEO's mindset. And we're talking about CEOs of large corporations, mostly um, global, but always not always exclusive, but still large. What's on the CEO's mind? What is he or she thinking about, in your opinion, your view? Well, um, the CEO has got to be thinking about lots of different things all at the same time. So he or she, is just juxtaposing a number of very difficult uh, challenges. And they are constantly thinking about which ones are more important at what points in time and how to allocate the right amount of time and the right resources to each one of them. So they're worried about their company's performance and uh, both the absolute performance and the relative performance relative to their peers. They're worried about their human capital uh, resources. Do they have the right talent in the right places, developing at the right pace to get things done? They're thinking about their shareholders. What do their shareholders want? Are they delivering the kinds of things that their shareholders need? Um, they're thinking about uh, they're thinking about their uh, their communities and in terms of what sorts of things that. Do they need to do to be good community members? Um, so it is a constant set of, uh, of challenges to be thinking about how are they performing now? What will the future hold? How do they position themselves strategically for the future uh, to make certain that they are delivering against all of the present and future requirements to make certain that the enterprise Uh, not only succeeds, but sustains itself over time. Right. Those are a lot of big themes. 
And it's not like the CEO is going to step in and change the talent processes. That would be a step too far. So in all of these, they're going to be asking the question, who's on this task? How much confidence do I have on them in this task? Are they focused on the right things? Is that your experience as well? That's right. Uh, But what she or he will be doing is setting the tone at the top. You know, the CEO will be setting the culture of the organization and setting a set of expectations and then making the selections on the kinds of people that they need running each of the various functions and businesses in the organization and helping to make certain that they make them accountable for the most important elements uh, that the organization needs to deliver against. So to set the right kinds of targets to keep people accountable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I love um, one of my senior leaders. She is not yet a CEO, though I have no doubt she will be someday a CEO. And she always says, you know, I have a couple of questions. I got a big problem. And my number one question is, who do I have on it? Right. And if I have, you know, who I have on it is followed by what's the metrics I'm using to gauge success. So what's my targets? What's my metrics? And then what do they need from me? It's like, those are the three big questions. Exactly. Exactly. Do I have, do I have enough insight into being able to select the right people to do the task at hand? If you can't measure it, it won't get done. So do I have the right targets? Are they aggressive enough, but fair enough? Um, So, you know, those are really critical. That's it. That's it. All right. So sounds easy, right? Right. It sounds so (laughs) sure. Sign me up. I'll take the job any day. Um, All enormously big picture thinking with very complex processes in the place. Because again, you're not doing it. You're making sure that you've got the right people doing it, focused on the right things. And I think that's the fascinating job about the CEO is how little they actually have to execute. But They're accountable for everything at the end of the day. So provocative questions. Let's go on to that one. Why are provocative questions so important when I'm trying to talk to a CEO? Because oftentimes what you're trying to do is help expand the CEO's thought process and take him or her out of their current space and help them try to understand what could be. And so by asking provocative questions rather than using statements, you can actually, and this is not just for a CEO, this is actually for any any person, not only in business, but frankly, in personal conversations as well. It's a very helpful tool to be able to help the other person think. So rather than give someone an answer, give them a provocative question to be able to help them reflect and think about what might be the solution space and how might you turn something on its ear to take it from a different perspective and have a completely different lens on the situation. So in my mind, brief, bold questions are the um, most helpful tool to unlock thinking in an individual or frankly, in a group. Okay. That sounds like what I'd say in coaching, in my coaching practice. All right. Exactly. 
So give me an example of a kind of brief, bold question you've used with a CEO or any senior leader that has helped them reflect and think. Um, you know, I think there are lots of uh, possible questions, but I find the most helpful ones are ones that I would call implication questions. And they're questions that are, by definition, open-ended mm-hmm. and um, oftentimes start with the what if. Because what you want to do is oftentimes take away a constraint that someone might have that's causing them to limit their thinking about what could be. Mm-hmm. And if you use a what if question, what if that constraint didn't exist? What if something else was a, you know, a possibility? Uh, would you have a different solution space? And then you can start thinking about a much broader, more aspirational uh, possibility. And then you can start thinking about how do I break down the barriers as opposed to taking the barriers as given. Okay. So presumably part of the power of that what if question is to challenge the barriers as we're currently seeing them. So kind of reframe what the barriers are, which ones are the big ones, which ones are not the big ones. Is that the kind of part of the general idea here? That is part of the general idea. That oftentimes is the case. Sometimes there are other, there are other situations that um, might be roadblocks that are, that are, you know, individuals put in their mind. Um, but that is, that is one of the, one of the possibilities. Absolutely. Okay. So what if ask a, what if question that takes a constraint away or that gets people to view their constraints in a completely different light and then go backwards to tackle, what could we do? How could we do it? How do we remove these barriers? Um, Susanna, is there a risk that you ask too bold of a question? Is there, can you take this too far? Yes, you have to think about the audience and you have to think about whether or not they're ready. So I would say you start small and you start by asking questions that may not be too, uh, too challenging, but still thought-provoking. And over time, then you can expand your set of questions more more broadly. Okay. But gauge the audience, engage their reaction to whether or not they're ready to be introspective, whether they're ready to think, whether they're ready to challenge themselves, because that's what you're really doing. You're, you're asking the other party to challenge perhaps their conventional wisdom in um, in in this discussion. Okay. Now, do I have to have delivered in a particular way or have a particular um, point of view or presentation or reputation in order to earn the right to ask these sort of challenging questions? I can imagine a whole bunch of people saying, I can think of challenging questions. I got a load of them, but I don't know that the CEO would listen to it from me as an internal member of the organization. And I do recognize that when you're an external member of an organization, like a consultant, 
it's so much easier to ask those provocative questions. You're almost there to do that. So what about the advice internally? I think it's, um, I think it is a little harder internally. However, I think the tool of using questions rather than assertions uh, is universally helpful because I think it is less, um, I think it is less invasive Mm -hmm. and potentially less offensive Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask it in a curious way, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to foster some curiosity, right. uh, not challenge the individual. And so if you say, have you thought about X, Y, Z? Um, it can be done in a very supportive, um, right. very supportive manner, right? And it right. doesn't have to be, an in-your-face challenge, um, or it doesn't have to, while it can be provocative, when when I use the word provocative, I mean making someone think as opposed to being overtly challenging. Okay. Okay. And, And I think that's the nuance there. Right. I think that's it. I think that's a really important one. I think it's, um, I, I'm totally sold, as anybody who's listened to me for any period of time knows, I am totally sold on the power of some good questions, on the power of using questions to persuade a group to follow you, to use questions to get people to do work that you want to like delegate them to, and like using questions to coach and develop people, and using questions to challenge assumptions, get people to think. I think it works up in the organization as it works at, as well as it works out and down the organization. So totally sold with you. Questions are business. And I can imagine a scenario. Well, actually, I'll do this via a story. Um, a woman that I was coaching and was in a very good number two position. She had a lot of strategic insight about the business and would frequently challenge her colleagues sitting around the table about things that they could do in their line of business that she thought would make for a stronger performance at the end of the day. And let's say for the moment, she was right in each of those challenges, but it wasn't always particularly well received from her peers sitting around the table. And she got the advice from one person that said, just shift slightly the way you pose the question to make this less challenging. And the notion was to shift it so that she said, look, from my point of view, I don't know, I'm not in your business, but from my point of view, I think there's a question we could challenge here and then frame your question. And so it's just a little bit way of softening it, not make the statement, here's what you should do. But what if we looked at this or what if you broke down this? What if this was possible? I think that's a great suggestion. I think it is. Uh, I think it's important if you don't know what the answer is to say, listen, I don't know what the answer is here either. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps we can, we, can explore. we can have a conversation. We can explore it. We can ask ourselves, each okay. of ourselves, some, some, some questions about this and about what we'd have to believe to make this a possibility right. Right. or what we'd have to believe to remove a constraint or what we'd have to believe 
to um, to be able to think about this in a in a different way and for the performance to be improved and and to use that as a vehicle to have a dialogue and an exploration mm-hmm. as opposed to telling people what to do and I think that's the that's where the magic right. is right where the magic is, is 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 the is the mutual um, exploration and frankly the mutual problem solving and solution development. Yes. Um, Getting that opening to think differently, to reflect differently, to consider a different possibility and then moving that on to, I love what you said, a mutual problem solving. Um, Yeah. Okay. That's where the magic is almost always. All right. When I'm getting ready to uh, speak to a CEO or a senior leader, and I want to ask a provocative question, ostensibly, there's a lot of preparation I need to do. How do I get prepared for that? So what's your advice on preparation? Understanding the facts of the situation. So getting as much data as you possibly can, understanding where the various points of view are, where the you know, to the extent that you can understand where the individual stands and why he or she stands that way, might help you position the conversation so that you think about where to start the question, start the conversation and what questions to start with. Mm-hmm. I noticed, you know, you reported XYZ and you made this comment about it. Uh, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about why you said that, why you did that, what informed your 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 point of view there? And then you can start the dialogue around, well, did you, you know, have you thought about any other options? Have you considered any other um, approaches? Why did you rule them out? Um, and then you can start having a conversation and trying to pull out the, you know, a sense of where the alternatives might be. Right. That starts then with a point of view that you have as the question asker, that there is a place here we need to explore. And I'm looking for data and evidence and positioning and prior statements and what other people believe to help me understand where the players in this conversation are sitting on the particular issue. And then I use my question. So I'm looking for that observation point. I noticed in your report that you said, or in this earnings call that you said, and then my questions follow from that. But doesn't that presume that I kind of know where I want to go in this conversation? I'm not just walking in with a completely open-ended, what if you could remove this barrier? That's right. I think you start with a number of hypotheses or areas where you say, you know, I, I didn't think he or she was bold enough in their approach to something where I felt like they were holding back. I wonder why they were holding back. And I wonder what it would take for them to be able to release that constraint and to to think more boldly about things. And I'd be curious to know what, you know, what, what brought them there. And I'm wondering if I might be able to help them to open up their aperture without even knowing exactly how wide that aperture is. Right. So again, it's not that you have the answer, it's that you have the area for exploration. You see a spot where there's an opportunity to broaden perspective, to be bolder, 
And then you go into that mutual exploration and then mutual problem solving. And more importantly, that your objective is there to be hopeful. Okay. And I think that has got to be the underlying purpose is that you are trying to help the other individual think through an opportunity or a solution space. Okay. All right. This is a lot harder than I've done a bunch of analysis. I come up with a game plan that we've tried in other companies and I think is going to work here or a game plan that I've seen some of my peers do at a different company and I'm going to try and bring it here. This is a lot more complicated than that when I go to speak to a CEO. Wanda, you're you're absolutely right. This is art, not science. It's just like your it's like your coaching work, right? Mm-hmm. That's art, not science. It's mm-hmm. taking um, a number of disparate data points. Uh, there isn't one formula that you can use. You have to you have to adapt to each okay. individual situation, and you have to think about what what could work in each situation. You have to understand how to read and read emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this you know uses both the EQ and the IQ side of things, and so. It is, it is difficult and it takes practice. And, you know, that's, that's what's really important here is to build this capability over, you know, a period of time through a lot of experimentation and practice. Mm -hmm. Can see that one. All right. So read emotions. I can't let that one dangle either because it's such a powerful skill. And I can't tell you how many people come to me as a coach and say, show me, teach me, like give me five minute lessons on how to read the room. <laughs> so I'm going to throw what, that what, back do you, what, do, what do you say, Wanda? I'm going to throw that back to you, Suzanne, <laughs> and say, what's your advice on how to learn to read the emotions or to read the room? Do you have some go-to things that you pay attention to? Um, I certainly pay attention to body language. Uh, I certainly listen to not only what is said, but what is not said Mm -hmm. um, by an individual. I look at not only what an individual is saying, but how other people are reacting to what that individual is saying. Uh, And if I think I observe something, I will test it out to make sure that I have listened both with my ears and with my eyes appropriately mm-hmm. and will test to see, you know, I, I think I heard you say this, or I think you inferred this. It was Did I interpret that correctly or not and if not could you help me understand what it was you were really trying to to say okay so when you see and the body language is a massive topic that we could spend days and days upon understanding what to look at what not to look at what in what context means what thing i mean there's a whole bunch of that one that we could talk about Um, But when you see people in the room reacting negatively to what's been said, and by that, I mean, typically, you see people actively looking away, like they stop making eye contact, they look down, they push away from the table, they get distracted. Um, 
it's almost like they look disengaged in the moment, sometimes quite subtly, but still look disengaged. Do you say anything about that? Do you notice that? Do you make that observation or you just let that one go? Or does it depend? I think it really depends. I think it depends on the dynamics in the group. I think it depends on the seniority of the group, whether people are peers or whether they're, um, it's a mixed group. I think it depends on the culture of the organization. There are times I think it's, uh, it is appropriate to say, wow, you, you seem really quiet, Wanda. Yeah. Um, you know, can, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So sometimes trying to find a way to bring people back into the conversation mm-hmm. when they've disengaged um, is is helpful. Be useful. And other and other times, you know, if it's if it's a very command and control culture, sometimes you have to wait until after the conversation, pull the person aside, and say, "Wow, you really." seem to disengage in that conversation what's going on yeah right it's really happening yeah and hope that they tell you all right so this is a perfect place to take a break and again we could talk about reading the room for the next five years and i still think not scratch the surface so i'm going to leave that one there The notion here, Suzanne, is that there's a lot that's on the CEO's mind from the performance to the human capital, to the shareholder, to the community they're part of, to the messages they need to say. We didn't talk about customers and clients, but that's in the suite as as well, as well as the future. And are we positioning in the right future? And so they're setting the tone, making decisions about expectations, setting the culture and selecting the right people with the right levels of accountability, the right kind of targets. That's their job. That's what they're doing. So to engage a CEO, the point is to get the CEO to think differently than they have been thinking at that point. And a lot of that thinking differently is to see constraints in a new light so that there's a different approach to those constraints. There's new possibilities that open up and that you can then engage with the CEO in a mutual exploration of what might be and then a mutual problem solving. So not that you come with the answer, but that you come with a question to open the thinking. And that takes a lot of background work and preparation to sort of know the data, the possibilities, the observations, the ways that you open that conversation where people sit on the particular issue um, and some facts and data point that might be useful in opening that conversation. And then from there, we move into the art, not the science, which is about learning to read the room, um, testing those questions in easier ways at the beginning and then building up, coming with a curious open mindset that says, what if, what about that? Tell, you know, kind of wanting to understand and wanting to explore together. How did I do for summarizing your work? A phenomenal summary. And by the way, I think summaries are a great tool to use as well, because what summaries do is not only uh, they, they test whether or not you've listened well, and sometimes sometimes we hear parts of what someone has to say and we understand their intent and sometimes we don't. Yeah. That's a brilliant summary. <laughs> Thank you very much, Suzanne. <laughs>
I, several of my listeners have heard this before, but it is my secret weapon being able to summarize a conversation because people feel really good about having been heard. Like you really understood me if you can do a good summary. And man, is it a powerful move in the middle of the room with a lot of senior executives vying for attention and for time. So I highly well, recommend well, it. But, it. but it also helps you in, if, if there's something you missed, it allows the person to interject. Yes, that's absolutely right. Plus... There is this one other thing that I think is important. Yeah. And then lastly, I think it's a huge, it's, it's an enormously effective tool to pivot the conversation, to use that as, to put as a stake in the ground. Okay, we all, this is what we all heard. Now we can move in a different direction. That's right. Why right. guess where you're headed. <laughs> exactly where I'm headed. What a perfect segue. All right. So we have two conclusions added to this one. Questions, provocative questions, what if questions, and summaries. All right, Suzanne, that's perfect. So we're going to take a break. My guest today is Suzanne Nimix. She's got a ton of boardroom experience, as you heard at the very beginning, currently a senior advisor to McKinsey and Company, as well as having retired from being a senior partner in 2010. And she spends a lot of her time helping men and women understand how to be at their best in this large global corporate organization, and particularly how to speak to CEOs and C-suite executives. When we come back, I want to pick up number two of Suzanne's point, which is how do you connect with the CEO on multiple levels? And what do we even mean by that? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Suzanne Nemex. She's got tons of boardroom experience in a broad range of companies and having been a senior advisor or still a senior advisor to McKinsey and Company, as well as a retired senior partner from 2010. We've been talking about what it takes to talk to the CEO and this notion of asking a provocative question that gets the CEO and the senior leaders to think differently, particularly to reevaluate the constraints that they're imagining about their current world. And we were also talking about the power of using a really good summary as a way to pivot the conversation or as just a way of clarifying what has been said and making people feel like you're paying close attention. Now, I want to move to the second half of Suzanne's um, idea about how do you talk to C-suite executives, and that is that you have to know how to connect on multiple levels. So Suzanne, first off, what do you mean by connecting on multiple levels? I think you have to uh, have enough credibility to believe that you have a reason to be able to engage with the individual. So you have to know something about something and have to be able to contribute in a viable way. And the other person needs to believe that you have that, um, that you have a degree of credibility. Okay. Uh, I think um, so. So I think that's the starting point. So you have to have earned a seat at the table. You have to have earned a seat at the conversation. Okay. Now, how, how do we go about showing that credibility? So let's assume that I have a bunch of knowledge that would be relevant. Let's assume that I've done my work and I'm not a brand new um, employee. I actually have experienced a lot of things. I have a lot of perspective. How do I begin to establish that credibility so that the CEO believes I'm credible? I think you have to be able to demonstrate the ability to not only know the details, but you have to have the ability to bring it up to a higher level and to be able to integrate Uh, a variety of different perspectives and data points to be able to think about things from a much, much higher perspective. So getting out of the weeds and thinking about the big picture and thinking about the implications of the data as opposed to the data for the data's sake. Okay, now you were speaking my language because I bet I spend a quarter, maybe even a half of my coaching time with people, often helping them understand that all those wonderful details that they know are great. That's your preparation, that's your homework, that's your background, but it's not what your senior executive wants to know. If they didn't believe you had the details, they would have fired you long ago. So you're there to know that details. 
not necessarily to say it. But so many people struggle to get out of that detailed point of view and up to the bigger story. How do you advise people to do that? Do you have any tricks? Yes. So once you know the information and the details, I think you ask yourself the question, so what? Mm. So what? What does that mean? What, what are the implications for the business? What are the implications for the strategy? What are the implications for the future? So what does all that information mean and what would I do with it? And how might that be relevant to the senior leaders of the organization? How would that matter at the big picture level? And then how could I communicate succinctly what that so what is? Okay. All right. Now we're getting to the next piece of my coaching practice, which is communicate succinctly because way too many people who come from the detail point of view think that the only way I can communicate it is I walk you through all the detail that I know. So you will agree with me, conclude the same with me. So any tricks on succinctly communicating this message? Yes. Try the elevator test. Imagine (laughs) for a second you get into the lobby of the, uh, you know, you enter the elevator on the lobby floor and you are in the lobby, you're in the elevator alone with the CEO and you are going to the 40th floor. And that's the amount of time, that elevator ride is the amount of time to be able to get your point across of what that, what that information, what your analysis uh, means. And that's about how much time it should take you to get your point across. All right, but now I'm not going the deductive method, which is data point, data point, data point, data point, include conclusion implications. I'm starting with the implications. Yes, and that's where the inductive thinking is far more important than the deductive thinking. People who can take a bunch of data, but then turn it around and think about the implications of that data Uh, will be far more effective in being able to communicate with senior management. Okay. Okay. And again, I can imagine how a helpful question could start this conversation. Exactly. (laughs) So we're right back to where we are before. back to where we started. Started. (laughs) What's the question I'm going to start with? Where is the thing that I'm trying to get you to do? Okay. So on multiple levels, so I've got to be able to say, I've done whatever work I've done. I've established my credibility because I've done that work. I've got some competence in that area and I've got all of this data and all of this analysis. I have to stop and ask the question, so what? What does this mean for the business, the strategy, the future? Um, And what would I do if I were suddenly had the authority to take an action so that I'm coming to the CEO with a perspective, not with a bunch of data points that I hope the CEO is going to make sense of. That's exactly right. So for a moment, put yourself in his or her shoes, whomever it is you're talking to, and think about what would I do if I had this information and how would I approach the situation? And what would it mean from a business standpoint, but what might it also mean from the person standpoint? So also put yourself in the person's shoes from uh, a personal standpoint and what it means, what it might mean for his or her career. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. 
It's hard to imagine that when you're in the middle of an organization or upper levels of an organization looking at the CEO and figuring, eh, what are you worried about your career? But CEOs are always worried about their legacy, always worried about the reputation they leave behind, always worried about the reasons that they walk out the door and the ways in which they walk out the door. So yeah, how does it mean for them and for their career? And Wanda, if I were in the middle of an organization, I might not try this with the CEO for starters, right? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I might try this with, you know, whomever I'm reporting to or other people, other senior people in the organization. So as I said earlier, this is about practice. It's a, it's a, it's an art form. It's a skill that you learn with a lot of practice. So start with other people first, start in lower risk environments um, okay. and, and, and work your way up to being able to have that conversation with the CEO. You don't start with the CEO. Okay. So I think that means that we want to advise people to have a routine practice in whatever detailed work that you're doing, wherever your base of credibility or expertise is, that you want to have the routine practice of asking yourself, so what? I've done this work, I'm seeing this, so what? What are the implications? And what would I do if I had the authority a few steps above to take action? What would it mean for the business? And what would it mean for people in their careers as well? And make that as a routine practice. Talk with my managers about it. Talk with my mentors about it, just as a routine. I think that's exactly right. And as a manager, I'd encourage people to do that as a coaching technique for the people that work for them as well. So as you have people work for you, when they present data, push them and say, so so what? What, what do you think I should do with that? Right? So it goes both, goes both ways. It's a way to, uh, it's a coaching tool to use for your own employees. And it's a vehicle that you can use for as, as you think about managing up. Right. Fabulous coaching tool. I hadn't thought about that. I'm stealing that uh-huh. idea from this way. <laughs> you can add going that forward. To Excellent. <laughs> Your Excellent. bag of tricks. <laughs> okay. All right. So the multiple levels then that you're talking about are the implications of whatever I'm doing for on the business side, on the personal side, on the solving problem side, on the growth opportunities for the company, the innovation opportunities. It's all of those multiple levels that we want to be thinking about in terms of the implication. Did I understand that correctly? That's absolutely correct. Okay. Now you talk about moving across the dance floor. Is that moving between those levels or is that something else? So I think about the dance floor. If you think about a conversation with, um, with a colleague or an executive, uh, there are two dimensions, right? There's the dimension of a problem. Are you there to solve a problem? Or are you there to unlock an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Or there is the business side. So that might be the business problem or the business opportunity, or there might be the personal side of things, which is the, you know, what does it mean to you professionally if you solve this problem or you have this opportunity? What could it unlock for you and in, in, in your career? And so being able to explore in a conversation all of those aspects, the business, the opportunity, the, uh, the, the problem, the opportunity, the business, the personal, is a, is a real skill because as you move from piece to piece, it might unlock what might be holding someone back 
from making a decision or taking a bold move. And it, it gives you the ability to explore, um, you know, all the quadrants of the way someone might evaluate uh, a problem or an opportunity. And too many times we get ourselves locked up in exploring a business problem and view that as the only reason why, you know, we're there at the table. And um, we are not, as human beings, that one-dimensional. We, you know, we bring all sorts of different things to the table when we're evaluating something, and it's hard to parse out what's business, what's personal. Um, And the more we can talk about the opportunity in the context to what it might mean to you, the more likely you are to be able to create an unlock in terms of people thinking uh, much more openly and freely about uh, where, what they might do, and they might be more willing to take a calculated risk. This reminds me, I'm smiling because this reminds me of a senior executive that I admired a great deal who used to always go running into his boss, the CEO, and say, look, I've got this great idea. And the CEO would just shake his head and say, no, 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 no. And they're like, why? It's a great idea. Here's the analysis, yada, 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 yada. And the CEO says, I'm sorry, that goes in the too hard bucket, which I always thought was a clever way of saying, yes, there's an opportunity there, but it's too hard to solve this problem. And there are too many personal implications and it takes too much political capital from me to sell that idea to somebody else. And it has this knock-on consequence in other places. So yes, it looks like a great idea until you start to look at all the other parameters around it and you realize how hard it is to actually get it done. That's what you're saying. That's That's exactly what I'm saying. But then we can come back to the where we started the conversation, which is, so how do you remove the barriers, right? Right. So if you find out that that's what's going on in the person's head, that it's in the too hard bucket, the opportunity discussion is about, well, what if? Mm -hmm. What if it wasn't too hard? What if we could find a way to make this happen and you didn't have to use up all your political capital? What would that feel like? And would it be worth trying to find ways to unlock this opportunity because it's so big? And so could we make it less hard? Yeah. And then you can start engaging people on the ways to make it less less difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It strikes me, particularly in talking to your senior leaders, that they're aware of all of the levels of implications around them, each within their own world, but they're still aware of all the implications. There are implications for the team that they lead, for their peers in other parts of the organization, for next year's projections and numbers, for you know a whole host of things. And we have to begin to see the multitude of those implications, not just the singular one line we're thinking. And I think that's what you're pushing towards, Suzanne, is to seeing the broader implications and then being willing, bold enough to ask the question, so what could we do about it? Right, right. And some of those, um, some of those barriers, they, they might be things that senior leaders can articulate and other things may be things that are in the back of their head.
head that they haven't articulated before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so getting them to articulate them helps you understand which ones are real and which ones are assumed or presumed. Right. Right. And so getting those out so that we can start to, again, as you said, a mutual problem solving, mutual exploration, mutual problem solving. Um, As you think about C-suite executives versus board members, do you see any differences in how you engage with the board versus the C-suite? Oh, absolutely. Um, If you think about it, all of the things we've been talking about are essentially what the board's role is, right? In many respects, on day-to-day operations, on day-to-day strategy even, the board influences, but the board doesn't decide. That's management's responsibility. Management's responsibility is to run the company. CEO's responsibility is to manage the company. The board's responsibility is to ask the more difficult questions, right? And to find ways to unlock and to get the CEO and the management team to think about what could be. So in many respects, what we've been talking about uh, through through this dialogue has been very much the board's, the way the board approaches things um, as opposed to the way perhaps management team does. Right. I think most people in an organization coming to present to their board, so internal now, not as an external, come to think about the board of let me tell you what we've done or let me tell you what we found. I don't think they think about how to engage the board in the questions that should be asked, in the what could be, in the possibilities. So is your advice to do a little bit more of that even with the board? Well, if they don't, the board will probably ask them to. So that will be part of the dialogue, right? Is, uh, you know, thank you for this analysis, but the board will ask, what are the so what's? What are Mm -hmm. the implications? You know, have you thought about it from a different way? So the board will ask those provocative questions. So it is always helpful for whomever's presenting to have asked themselves those questions first because they should know. Those questions are going to come to them, right? So it's a way to prepare. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good advice on that one. Um, We're almost out of time. Suzanne, I have to ask you the question I always ask my guests at the end, which is, what takes you out of your comfort zone and how do you manage in those moments? What takes me out of my comfort zone is people asking me the question that I hadn't anticipated. (laughs) And okay. forcing me to giving me a dose of my own medicine, frankly. <laughs> There's a joy in being the question asker. <laughs> so, okay, seriously, let's say you're in the middle of a board meeting or a CEO meeting or something really significant, and someone asks you a question that you had not anticipated. How do you cope with it at that moment? What do you do? If it's a question that requires um, some knowledge that I don't have, I think the the answer is either try to, in the course of the conversation, develop enough facts to be able to help uh, inform things so I do have an opinion, or 
give myself some time to go do some homework, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the techniques I often ask people is frequently when the question comes, you know, we're imagining it means everything in the kitchen sink. And what people are really looking for is a much more narrow view. So I often say, throw the question back a dad bit. As in, tell me a little bit more about why you're asking that. Tell me what your concerns are. And it buys you a minute to actually think about what you want to say along the way. All right. Sure. Did I, did I understand it? You know, it gives you a chance to figure out if you understood it properly, because oftentimes you might not have It's true. It's true. And often people don't ask it in the way that we wanted them to ask it. All right, Suzanne, we're out of time. So my guest today is Suzanne Paquin-Nemex, who, well, decades of experience in the boardroom, having succession planning processes and board refreshment processes, and also a senior advisor currently to McKinsey. Our topic for today is how do you begin to understand what your CEO is thinking about And how do you begin to ask questions of the CEO that allows the CEO to think differently, to see possibilities? Out of all of this, I think the most important thing is to recognize that you must get out of the weeds and up into a high-level picture so you're understanding the implications. I think out of everything you've said, Suzanne, it's driving for the so what. What does it mean? What are the implications? What would we do? What would I do if I were in that position? What are the implications on a broad scale, not just in terms of the business, the proposition I'm putting forward? And then being prepared to follow that up with uh, whatever barriers are presented, what if? What if we could change it? What if we could do something different? Is a way of capturing that conversation. At least I hope you think that's a decent summary in the process. It's a great summary. Enjoy the conversation, Wanda. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. Join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to know more about how to apply these techniques and others, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.